Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, friends, this is it. (laughs) Together, we have arrived at the very last installment in our special summer vacation series here at the Out of the Ordinary Books podcast. I hope you've enjoyed dipping into these amazing books as much as I have. And isn't it extra special to hear a book chapter or a poem in the author's very own voice? If you've had a favorite from this series or maybe discovered a new writer or new book, won't you tell us about it? Snap a photo of the book or of our podcast logo and tag us on Instagram at Lisa Jo Baker and at Christy Purifoy. I won't say we've saved the best for last, because like loving parents with their children, we love all the books we've shared with you this month. However, we have perhaps saved the most podcast-appropriate book for last, because this week, well, this week we have the privilege of hearing a chapter from Shannon Martin's wonderful book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. For years now, Lisa, Joe, and I have explored the transformative power of paying close attention to ordinary life, and Shannon does this better than just about anyone I know. I'll be honest, Shannon was Lisa Joe's friend first. <laughs> I first met Shannon, not in person, but through her writing. And I can still remember reading just one paragraph from a blog post and saying to myself, wow, this woman can write. But I'm so glad Lisa Joe did finally bring Shannon to stay with us here at the Black Barn at Maplehurst, because now I know absolutely that the voice you hear in the writing is the real and genuine Shannon. Shannon, I now know, is the neighbor who will show up on your doorstep with a vintage tea towel she found that reminded her of you, homemade pickles she made for you, as well as conversation that leaves you feeling heard and seen and pushed outside of your comfort zone. But just as you start to feel a little uncomfortable, she's going to laugh at herself, pour you another cup of tea, and teach you how to hang a plate wall with thrifted dishes. Shannon's stories do not leave us unchanged. Lisa Joe likes to say that Shannon is like a spotter as we do the heavy lifting of learning and growing. She stands next to us and cheers us on and keeps us safe, but maybe not always comfortable. But comfort, I'm now convinced, is overrated. And you don't need a passport to change the world. You just need to open your front door. So now I give the podcast stage to Shannon, and we find out together what happens when she hands over her very meager loaves and fishes on behalf of a seventh grade neighbor boy. Chapter 14, Arms Linked. Sometimes the thing I miss most about my old life is the tranquility of my bird's eye view. 
It's not the farmhouse of my dreams, the ample square footage, the sturdy salaries, or the sheen of success that I miss. It's being tucked in among the clouds where if I even bothered looking down at all, the problems were ant-like, no more than tiny smudges far below the comfort and beauty of the life I loved. I miss the simplicity of my inward-facing world, wallpapered exclusively with the stuff I wanted and with myself. My family, my opinions, my faith, my security. I miss the luxury of a safe distance where the only problems I worried about were my own. I was no more selfish then than I am today. I wasn't cold-hearted. I just hadn't fallen from my perch. I didn't know what I didn't know. I hadn't acquired a taste for the complication of mixing my life into the lives around me far different from my own. The thing about paying attention to our ordinary places is that the more intently we study them, the more layered and detailed they become. Trouble surfaces like the hidden images embedded in those old 3D posters. Stare long enough, let your vision acclimate, and whoa, there it is. It shows up inconveniently, shattering our easy answers. It rattles the gates of our tightly reined existence. It costs us the peace of oblivion and the consolation of our quiet esteem. Attentiveness isn't a life plan for living numb. This is our warning. The more deeply our roots sink into the soil, the more we will uncover the places in our world where things aren't fair. We'll encounter different circumstances and be moved in different directions. We'll stop minding our own business in unique ways. But the question we're faced with will ring out in unison as we're pressed to decide whether we'll fight for those we love or close ranks and keep things tidy. What are you going to do about this? God only knows the second option will likely feel safest. We'll want to run and hide, just as the Israelites wanted to do when they found themselves in an unfamiliar land. Build homes and plan to stay, he told them through the prophet Jeremiah. Plant gardens, create families. Easy enough. But then he goes too far, as he always does. He shakes us up and pokes into our personal space. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Essentially, if those around us aren't free, then we aren't either. This was a revelation I was contemplating when I first saw Mac out my front windows, wandering aimlessly around the neighborhood. For all my early days spent waiting for God to give me something to do, when opportunity finally found me, I didn't feel ready. Swapping my binoculars for a chisel and shovel hinted at work more taxing than what I was hoping for. But when Mac's situation came to my attention, I started chipping away, one stroke at a time, at the mystery behind his expulsion. What had appeared months earlier to be an impenetrable block of stone was revealing itself in excruciating detail. As I got to know him better, looking at the whites of his eyes, as my mom might say, the whole story emerged like a modern-day weeping, grieving pieta. Just like the oak trees dotting my path each day, the roots of the truth stretched disproportionately underground. Mac was barely five feet tall, still a little twitchy about making eye contact, and so soft-spoken that I often had to ask him to repeat himself. 
He was much too young to know the implications of the story being written for him by people doing their jobs without the aid of excavation. The labels troubled and dangerous did not fit the kids standing on my porch, so I started digging. There was no margin for complacency. I knew what would likely follow for Mac. I'd seen it all in hindsight with our oldest son, Robert. I'd seen it in many of Corey's friends at the jail. Reality showed with blinding clarity that black boys are expelled far more frequently than others for identical offenses. What tends to follow school expulsion is juvenile detention and, eventually, adult incarceration. I had a preview of how Max's life might play out if the world didn't begin to gaze on him with the same promise, expectation, and opportunity afforded other boys. This bright, funny, engaging child who had no serious history of major disciplinary trouble and who did not pose a threat to his community was pushed out of it and left alone. Nell Bernstein, a researcher on race and education, said, Children do best when they are held close. I came to see that holding someone close can look very much like locking arms and demanding answers. Tentatively at first, taking great care not to back myself into a corner, bite off more than I could chew, or suffer the consequences of any relevant idioms, I started asking questions. Tossed out of middle school for the entire year, there were no services in place for him. No alternative programming, no tutoring, no second chances. Without meaning to, certainly without hoping to, I'd found a crack in the very public school system I champion, along with the reminder that constructive critique is good and necessary, even and especially when it's personal. I had two choices, retreat or engage. I love and tirelessly support our public school system, but I love the people it serves more. People over systems, every time. Standing with the individual might stretch our ideas about time management and overall ROI, but this is often how broken systems begin to be repaired. It can be difficult sometimes to discern fracture in the context of thousands of people, but one child rises up as living proof, grabbing our attention and refusing to let go. As the singular illuminates the whole, we're left to move either toward or away from the trouble at hand. Sister Helen Prejean said, being kind in an unjust system is not enough. Was I ready to heave a portion of Max burden onto my own shoulders, even if it caused a fuss and many wouldn't understand? I stewed and lost some sleep. I checked my motives and fretted over my reputation. Finally, I wrote one email, a single domino that tipped a hundred more. Many phone calls, correspondences, crying jags, boatloads of meetings, some in administrative offices and some on my front lawn later. On the heels of a good deal of hand-wringing, working closely with his mom, and exhausting all other options, it was decided that Mac would come sit with me at my kitchen table for tutoring each weekday from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. For many of you, this sounds like a dream scenario. I, on the other hand, am cut from a different cloth. I shower my kids' teachers with support and encouragement because I am in awe of the work they do, and I want them to keep doing it so I never have to. I was the only girl in elementary school who didn't harbor some future teacher goals. What I am saying is, as we inspect our geography for wounds, we aren't given the luxury of choosing what we'll uncover 
or our role in delivering first aid. I thought my job was to notice the problem and connect the right people. I honestly believed, foolishly, arrogantly, that I would convince the school to change their tune. When it became evident that this might, at least for a while, fall on me, I was more bummed than invigorated and grateful. What are you going to do about this? I asked God on repeat. To my great frustration, his response every time was, how much bread do you have? I told him I didn't have time. This wasn't in my skill set. Mac deserved better. Quite plainly, he was unmoved by my laundry list of excuses. Time was passing and Mac was floundering. They said he could return the following school year, but what would that look like for an eighth grader with a target on his back who'd been on a year-long hiatus from learning? How much bread do you have? Honestly, I didn't have much, and what I did have wasn't the good kind of bread. With great hesitation, I held out my slice and a half of bad bread. Wasting no time, God snatched them up, making a feast of scraps. To break the ice on our first day, I asked the shy guy staring at my dirty floor a question. Who is Mac? A kid who makes a lot of mistakes, he answered. The narrative was taking root. It doesn't take long. We got to work watching YouTube videos on the travails of seventh grade math. On more than one occasion, I corrected his work only to find out he had been right all along. Math. It's the worst. We read The Outsiders along with short stories and poems by Langston Hughes. When there was time, we'd move to the living room and I'd read a chapter of Tuck Everlasting aloud. We put our noses to the stone, but we had some fun. On our drive to the Boys and Girls Club each day, I mothered him, nosing into his business while he manned the radio and sang along. We were comrades, woven into the new normal of the other's life. But as the end of the year barreled toward us, my numerical deficiencies still worried me. I was constantly concerned that we were creating a false sense of security, that our hard work wasn't nearly enough to bridge the chasm he'd been pushed into. Corey carried our concerns off to his weekly lunch meeting with a group of ragtag former pastors, and they stepped into formation, offering advice and tangible help, helping me shuttle him around when I couldn't. One of them also connected us with a retired high school English teacher. The day we met, she interrupted my planned dissertation on Mac and his many glowing attributes. I'm ready to get started, she said. I don't need to know anything else about him. I've kept my schedule open since retiring, knowing God would bring along the right opportunity. I don't need to think it over. This is it. Do you think this made me weepy? You know me so well. Though math was still woefully within my jurisdiction, every Tuesday and Thursday thereafter, I gratefully passed Mac off to an expert equipped to disciple him in the ways of grammar and reading comprehension. Another influential member of our community showed up at my door unexpectedly soon after. He ended our conversation with this. If we would just all do the one thing we're wired to do, the world would be a different place for our neighbors. The second he walked out the door, I scrambled for a pen and wrote it down. Days later, thanks in part to a man who had never even met Mac, the school contacted me to say they had a new system in place to better meet the needs of students like him. Finally, we were getting somewhere. When I was a kid, my church had a prayer chain system in place in which urgent concerns were strung from telephone line to telephone line into a safety net of unquestionable caring. 
I will never discount the power of prayer, but pairing it with physical action is infinitely better. I was bearing witness to the church in action, lifting one of its own and carrying him to safety. It's true that it takes a village to raise a child, but it goes both ways. Sometimes it takes a child to raise up a village, shining light on its shared purpose to work for the sake of each other. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.